you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We're on location in Boston today. We flew tie out. We've got a bunch of East Coasters we're going to be talking to today. You'll hear over the next couple of weeks, but we've got Tiago Barros in the house. Tiago is one of our DMs in our Boston Central office, and he's been with us for about five years. Yeah. Is that right? So started with us in 2015 and was started in our Maryland office, was there for two years. Yep. And then uh, we opened up the Rhode Island market. Uh, We put out uh, that we were hiring for Rhode Island managers, and Tiago applied, got the job as the main district manager in Rhode Island. And uh, that was a really hard experience, I think, for everybody, but mostly you, because you were right there on the front lines, kind of dealing with it all. Um, and then eventually we pivoted from there. Tiago joined our Boston South leadership group with Bryce Nelson and Ben Arthur and then Tiago's brother, Felipe. So it was the four of them leading the Boston South team. The four of those guys exploded that market, um, and we felt like we had strong enough leadership that we could split that team and create a separate team, and that's how we formed Boston Central. So um, it's Tiago Barros, Felipe Barros, Greg Penn, and Ronnie Donnelly are the managers of uh, Boston Central. And what's Where did really, you guys start Central? Uh, what is it? Um, it was spring uh, Q2 2019. Oh, okay, cool. So we're coming up on two years. Yeah. What's really cool is my favorite part about this Boston Central team is it's the first, this is a, a Vivint Solar slash Sunrun fun fact is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is the first complete organically grown office in the country that's ever hit 300 installs in a quarter Mm, so fact check that one so all four managers (laughs) all four managers were recruited organically after we'd started this thing they're all local to the market they're all from the boston area every rep on that team was organically recruited from the dms and um and they're the and they just hit 300 installs uh, making it the first time ever New England's had two teams hit 300 installs in in a quarter, um, and Tiago is the main DM. So, Tiago, how do you guys do it? Um, I think uh, first thing it's you know me, Phil, GP, uh, Ronnie. When we started the office, uh, we really wanted to grow something big. We were around in other offices, Boston West for GP and Ronnie, and uh, me and Phil in DC North. And uh, we kind of had a vision of an office and uh, really get into 300. That was our goal since the beginning. So I think the way that we got there was the DMs working really hard themselves. We focus a lot on our squads. And uh, I think we just have a culture of servant leadership. We're part of the most exciting part of me doing my job. And I think for the other DMs is seeing all these other people grow and winning. Well, and it's been a long time coming to like lead to this point right and i don't think you view this at all as like the pinnacle but um what's been the hardest thing that's happened in your career at vivint solar because you've been through a lot to kind of get to where you're at now 
So the hardest thing I'd say for sure was uh, opening up the Rhode Island market. It was a brand new market. And um, what year was that? When did you open? 2017. That? So you were in North before that? DC, DC North. North. Yeah. Oh, DC North. So we moved. So we grew up here in Boston, which we'll get into some of those fun stories later. But grew up here in Boston. Was down in uh, Maryland, what selling? Oh, you were working for Solar City for a minute, right? For a minute, and then I went to Vivint Solar in Maryland. Um, I talked to Joe Wilkins, and Joe Wilkins connected me to, me to uh, Jordan Laplace. Got it. And then me and Phil moved down there. Got it. And then from there, Tiago did awesome. You had what eighty-four installs your first year down there. Yeah. And then, um, and then we promoted him to be a DM in Rhode Island. Well. So yeah. What made Rhode Island so hard? Well, it was, um, you know, I had a lot of momentum in uh, Maryland. I kind of knew everybody in my city. I knew all my installs. I went, came up, like there are installs everywhere. Um, and when I came to knock in Rhode Island, uh, like we opened the market, I think prematurely, like we didn't have a lot of the interconnection, a lot of crews, a lot of stuff like that ready. So I had to work through all the issues and uh, get those ready to go. And then the other thing is like, I come out knocking in, in uh, Maryland, there's a ton of Vivint security. There's a ton of Vivint solar. So I just name drop, yeah, Vivint. Then I come over here and I'm like, oh, Vivint. And everybody's like, what's that? Dude, starting a market like, is so hard. For, people that, for <laughs> people that haven't done it, like you don't, like, it's, it's, a, it's a real eye opener into how much goes into running a solar business. And then even like you're saying on the sales side, the value of momentum. Right? Yeah. Like just the value of being with a team that has things rolling versus trying to get things rolling. You know? And it was, uh, I had to ask GP, I'm like, hey, GP, can you send me a list of installs? And customers would ask like, oh, do you have any around here? I'm like, we got some 30 minutes away in Bellingham. Which is a mess. check them out. <laughs> so he's selling in a new state and he's a first time DM by himself. And... um and he had one, like an assistant manager in Junior Banderas, right? But, uh, but I mean, you were basically running the show. Yeah. And he's, how old were you at the time? Um, I think like uh, 27 or 28. Yeah. So first time DM, opening a new market. That was, it was, we just weren't prepared to go in. So it was really tough. But um, yeah, I was really impressed with how determined Tiago was to make it work. And he would always call me with ideas and like really frustrated with things, but it was never this defeatist mentality. Like I can't do this anymore. It was always like, Hey, I'm frustrated with this, that, whatever. And then he would have like 10 ideas on what we could do to change it or fix it or whatever. And, um, which is why I think I've always worked hard to continue creating opportunities for Tiago. Cause it's like, you can see this like rising star mm -hmm. and you just knew he was not set up to win for a minute, but Why'd you go? Because you were doing good in DC North. I mean, you so, had 84 installs your first year. Yeah. So basically, I had my daughter. Um, she was born, and I wanted to be closer to family. So all my family's in Boston. And uh, the position opened up in Rhode Island, which is why I was like, oh, you know, let me go over. Like, I think starting a new market, even though it's difficult, um, it's always good because you kind of become the first person there and build it. And that's kind of the vision that I had originally when I. Uh, decided to go yeah you can sign your name on it right yeah you can actually mm -hmm. like look to something that you built that nobody can take away yeah and also being close to the family mm -hmm. which would have been pretty good but i think uh it, it was actually uh you know it, it was really hard time 
it's funny because me and Adam have a really good relationship now, but I was like Twitter fingers with Adam, like <laughs> texting him like, what's this? What, what, what about this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joey would text me at like midnight, you know what I mean? With like a, the long paragraph <laughs> and I would just see it and I would be like. Oh boy. Dude, the long paragraph. Uh, what's the acceptable uh, amount of lines in a child. text message, dude? The worst is when the arrow pops out. You know, you ever got oh, still texted? Still text. <laughs> yeah, Tiago yeah. sent me with a couple of those. The old, the old one where you have to open up the text to you're get. Like, the... is somebody transcribing this for you? There's yeah. no way you're. He must be speaking. He must be speaking to text. Yeah, you must just be like speaking. while he's driving, you know. <laughs> it's um, funny because like when I whenever I get those with like the arrow pop out, you just get a phone call within ten seconds. Like you know, I haven't read that. It's like if the, if I see like a four minute voicemail, yeah. I just I, I don't. I'm just calling. There's no way to like <laughs> listen just, to a four minute. I can't like, go through this twice. Let's just do it once. Obviously, we need to talk. You know. Well, what's interesting about that though is so Tiago's come to me a few times and been like, "Hey, man, like, do you just hate me because of the all the texts I sent or whatever?" And I would say this to any of our young leaders, especially young leaders or up and coming reps, uh, as a VP, I don't ever mistake. Um, passion for complaining you know what I mean like like and I always I always viewed what Tiago was doing as being passionate about trying to be successful with what he was doing so I actually even though I would get it and I would know it was going to be a long conversation or a long text or whatever or I'd have to tell him no or this that whatever I always appreciated his passion for the job and I never wanted to like extinguish that yeah you know what I mean well you see it with your reps now right like that, that ask a lot of questions. Like people come to me and like, oh, sorry, I'm blowing you up. And I'm like, if they're growth-based questions, I have all the time in the world mm-hmm. for it. If you're just firing like shards of energy into my body, yeah, I'd shoot that somewhere else. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it's a, it's a big thing, um, especially for me and Phil, where we never wanted to have an office just to kind of be like, oh, we arrived. You know what I'm saying? So we've never yeah. been complacent about it. And We've always worked on fixing everything and now with the other DMs, always working to a bigger goal and really never being complacent with the business. So I still text Adam like a ton of ideas, but I keep it short now. (laughs) So Tiago and his brother, Felipe, are Brazilian. Who's older? Me. Tiago. How old's Phil? Uh, 25. And then GP, um, what's GP's ethnicity? Haitian. Haitian, okay. And then Ronnie, obviously, is white. But um, they're the most diverse leadership group we have, the most racially diverse leadership group we have, I think, on the East Coast. And their office is for sure the most racially diverse. What what role has that diversity sort of played in your success, do you feel? Um. I think uh, just coming from different types of backgrounds, we're able to, you know, work with a different group of people. Like we can work with people of all races and talk and, you know, be good. And um, just the culture in the team is really, really powerful. It's a big family vibe on the team. And we all kind of support each other. We all recruit. We're all about pushing each other. And and we have people literally of all races winning, you know, on a a very high level. So it's pretty... uh, exciting well your territory is pretty diverse too if you're boston central right like you you'll walk into like correct me if I'm wrong i sold security here years ago but you'll walk into like pods where you find just different ethnic groups and stuff like that 
in your market, right? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, Boston's known for, um, you know, a big immigrant culture as well. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool, especially with solar, if you work around, um, you know, a uh, certain group of people and you become known within them, they all know each other. And so it, it really helps to grow the business and do good business, you know, to get a lot of referrals down the road. That's cool. Coming from some guys that have worked with their brothers, how's that relationship with you and, and your brother? You're both uh, I, DMs in the market. It's pretty amazing. Uh, me and my brother are five, six years apart. Uh, I had a customer one time and her sister was like five, six years apart. And I'm like, oh, do you and your sister are really cool with each other? And she's like, no, I hate her. So I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Even like, like, why? Like, why waste the time? Wow. Yeah, I thought it was really funny because me and my brother are super close. Um, you know, we've been through a lot together and uh, it's just fun working together because we really push each other to keep growing and keep doing better. What synergies do you feel like you and Felipe? Because I, I, their office tie, it's, it has such a unique energy to it. And I think a lot of it has to do with Felipe and Tiago. Like they're, they're, and Ronnie and GP obviously do a great job as well. GP is kind of more like the silent, like general in the tent. GP is becoming, becoming a, a stepbrother. So he's, he's getting okay, there. He's getting so in. That's, yeah. that's been my most exciting thing. It's a slow thing. process, but yeah. he's getting in. He's getting there. How do I become a step borrows, dude? I want to, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to apply. Uh, <laughs> like we have a lot of work to do. Their energy is so fun. And do you think that's a cultural thing with your Brazilian culture or, I mean, I guess, what do you attribute just the unique energy that you guys kind of have with your team? Is well, it deliberate? Is it something you guys are conscious of or does it just happen? I think it's just genuine. Just, I, I think, um, you know, as far as culture with Brazilian specifically, really warm culture. Everybody's really like, if, even if you take a bus in Brazil, you know, you're going to make friends on the bus. Like people are just going to talk to you like normally. It's not like uh, I would say Boston culture. That's a little bit colder. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think one thing that I've always kind of held is, is uh, and I think it's part of my success, is always treat people with a lot of love. And that's how I treat everybody on the team. Um, and uh, I think everybody, it, it reciprocates, you know, if it comes down from leadership, everybody treats each other the same way and we all support each other. And that's what helps us, you know, kind of grow. Yeah, it helps too, like if you have that. I was thinking there's a book I read. Have you guys um, heard of the book Lead for God's Sake? Have you heard mm -hmm. of that? It's awesome. It's like it's like kind of this story thing, but it talks about how to like lead with your heart rather than like with, you know, whatever other tactics or whatever. And I wonder if like the familial element helps you do that. Like I work really close with my brother. And are you and are you and Phil pretty different or are you pretty similar? I'd say we're pretty similar. Really? Yeah. So me and, me and my brother have opposing strengths, but we're pretty similar. Like we like think a lot the same, but we have really opposing strengths. And it's awesome because some people are like, how could you work with family? Like, isn't like you hear like people that have basic rules, like never do business with family. But I'm like, man, in this industry, you need people that you can trust. You know what I mean? And it's, I've, I've been really grateful that we've never had, the, it's, it's an asset for me. It's a, he's an ally. It's one of those things where it's like, well, at least I trust you no matter what happens and we can get stuff done. But we've never had like, I've never experienced why people say never work with family. I've just never personally experienced why that would be a bad thing. Sounds like similar with you guys. Yeah. And uh, I think if like me and Phil work directly, I think now we're a lot better. But I think at the beginning, if it was just me and him, we would butt heads. Yeah. And that's why it's good having the other DMs there yeah. because we kind of, me and Phil don't agree on something, you know, it kind of gives different voices to it. So 
You'll use the other DMs almost like a tiebreaker. Yeah, that's how that's how it is actually. If <laughs> you come in here, mm-hmm. it's like well, and Greg Greg has such a quiet demeanor, and he's almost like the it's almost like he's like you know like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like he's Splinter. You know what I mean? Like he's like the wise one that like they'll say something, Greg will just be like, mm-hmm. like he'll just like yeah. Well, we actually the other day I posted it, but we said Adam was Splinter. So that's uh, a great hairs coming there. And we said we we're the four ninja turtles coming in. Yeah. So, so Greg's Donatello. Did you guys need to make that? You need to like have somebody like make a street art thing like that. Yeah. That's how Greg's Donatello. Okay. Ronnie is Michelangelo. Uh, Phil is Leo. Leo. I, I'm Raphael. So yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> what's, we already decided. That's what's the, doing. what's the biggest fight you and Felipe have ever gotten into? Um, I think, uh, so what, when we first started work and we were at solar city in Delaware and, um, we were super broke, everybody was super, super broke. And, uh, we were literally living with my friends. It was like 15 dudes in a house. I was sleeping on the basement on the floor. Um, and, uh, Phil just had an idea. How did you guys all end up in Delaware? Like, give me some context. Like, how did you guys end up down there? What, like who so it was my friend uh, Junior and Gabe. They Gabe Lindemeyer. They were working in Delaware for Solar City. So they recruited to you out. to come down and yeah. do this pipe. And it was like all our friends, right? Basically, but we were there and we were super broke. And uh, uh, Phil wanted to move into a twelve thousand dollar a month mansion on the beach. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, bro, nobody's moving there. Like we're all broke. He's like, no, you don't get it. Like if we all split, it's only a thousand, two thousand dollars each. And we're like, Phil, nobody's doing there. And but then he got one, like if, super if five upset. People move, right? I feel like he hasn't learned this lesson yet. <laughs> he, he hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, but uh, he literally got so upset, didn't talk to me for two days. And then he comes one day to my house, to the house, and gets all my clothes and throws it outside of the house. Still in the mad, middle of the rain. I'm like, bro, what's going on with you? <laughs> Usually that <laughs> happens in the heat of the moment, not after you've had two away. days. I, I think just the the pressure of of uh, being in debt and being broke just got to Phil. And he had a dream he wanted to live and wasn't there. And uh, I think there was a lot of pressure. And uh, It was actually when we moved into uh, our first place in Maryland, we're like, oh, let's go to Maryland. We were so broke. We didn't have money to actually put like first month rent at all. Um, but luckily we found a place that they're like, hey, move in, first month rent's free, no security deposit. So we're like, oh sweet, let's do it. So we pretty, signed pretty the lease. Pretty nice place, dude, or what? It was a pretty nice place. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like no credit check required, like just come in. Luckily we had we had okay credit, so that was good. Yeah. But uh, we literally moved in. We didn't have any money to put on first month rent or, or, or uh, deposit. So we literally just like, Locked out. The clock started though, because you <laughs> so had to make the work. next month's rent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So wait, that's so. How did you end up at Vivint Solar? So it was just a uh, um, with Solar City was kind of okay. What happened? I think with me personally, um, before this, I did Comcast, and I was really good salesman at Comcast, but it was really just me. You know what I'm saying? Not like there wasn't any mentorship, and I realized I really wasn't going anywhere in life. Mm. So. Um, I wanted to get into a job where I saw other people that were doing a lot better than me and I wanted to be around those people more. Uh, and I felt like that was going to help me get to the next level because, uh, those, you know, five or six years I've been at Comcast, I basically stagnated. I wasn't making the right decisions financially. You know, I wasn't getting to the level where I knew I could get to at work. And I'm like, 
I'm like a big fish in a small pond. I need to go somewhere and surround myself with people and mentors. And that's been probably the most exciting thing with Vivint. Um, you know, actually being around those type of people. And that's part of you my You felt that me. when you were at Comcast? You felt like, because a lot of times when you're riding high and you're like the big fish, a lot of times it's scary to, to, to go to like a bigger pond. But you felt like when you were at Comcast that in order to develop, you needed to get around people that were having more success than you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, um, you know, I knew I had the potential in me to do really good. And there would be like sparks of it really good at Comcast. That's why I was always like one of the top reps. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt like I wasn't getting to the next levels in life. I was basically staying in the same place. And that was part of my decision really to first when I went to Solar City, but then Vivint. And kind of as you get to know people in the door to door space, that's why I came over. And that's why I went to DC North. It was the number one office at the time. Mm. So it was pretty fun. So you're just inspired by getting around like the players in the industry, like the people that were doing the best. Yeah. Do you feel like that's helped you guys shape your culture with your leadership development in your own team? Because these guys have, um, if you look at the East Coast, just um, quarterly installs, probably, you know, a third of the top 20 installers are in Boston Central. And it's, hmm. Breno DeLima, Gabe DeLuke, um, you've got Alicia in there. You've got some really, and I know I'm missing some people that I'm just top of mind not thinking about. But um, but is that something you guys have made a point of with developing leadership within your team? Is that something that w was like by design? Or did you happen to just recruit really good reps? Well, I think it's not really like you can recruit a ton of reps, but if you don't really develop them, they're not going to get anywhere. And I think that's been a big focus of ours is, you know, when we bring people into the business, we don't want them, we don't treat them like um, stock. You know what I'm saying? Like we treat them like family, really. And we're like, if you come into the business, you got to um, win big time. And part of what we do, like the first goal that we have when everybody we bring in is that they have to have 100K saved like immediately. So that's actually a big goal in the office uh, within like about eight, nine months. We, we That's the goal that we have for every mm -hmm. rep that comes in is you need to have 100K saved. Because if you're really gonna go for financial independence and, and wealth, it's kind of the first major milestone that you're gonna hit um, on the path there. So that's a big yeah, focus. Yeah, like the idea is like a year of income in case something happens type yeah. thing, right? Yeah, basically just to start, you need that 100K in the bank. Then and you, you can, make it a thing, so it's not like somebody goes and blows money on a car in their first six months, but they don't have the 100K. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, right. 100%. It's like, you're not creating a culture of blowing it on dumb stuff. It's, you're, you're, you just take a big step back because you don't have the 100K saved yet. Yeah, and that's basically the that's big cool. goal. And, and we've developed a lot of people 100, over 100K and first properties. We've had a ton of people buy properties this year. Who stands out as like a story of somebody that's like, that's made that's been really successful through that. Like who was in a bad spot that now is in in that like first stepping. Tiago first and foremost. I think everybody in the office. Too. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a personal thing. You 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 guys you guys push that because you've experienced it. Yeah, I think I think me and you know uh, I've been in really uh, tough spots before, and I know what it's like. So it helps me empathize with people. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they have a career like 150, they're making 100K, 150K, they don't actually come to the job, to be honest. Even though they could make way more, it's hard for people to leave that safety net. Yeah. So we have a lot of people that join that it's like, hey, this is a big opportunity for them because they're 
driving Uber or bartending or serving at a restaurant. And this is an opportunity to really get ahead. What percentage of your team was recruited by the DMs versus, and, and that includes like rep referrals, you know what I mean? Versus corporate recruits that were sent to you through the corporate recruiting team. So I think the majority of the team is, is uh, DM recruits for sure. So, um, and that's another thing when you get people really winning and, and their friends see them winning and their friends want to join and you have a good culture, that's kind of what uh, grows it apart. So the majority of the team really is, is um, through our own development. Yeah. Dude, it's counterintuitive. I always call that activating the magnet. It's, it's weird because a lot of people, you've probably seen this too, Adam, but like they'll come into the business. I hear this all the time and they're like, hey, I was never really a big recruiter. And I'm always like, well, first don't say that because recruiting is actually easier than selling. You just sell more often than you recruit. I mean, you have a job that pays hundreds of thousands of dollars, gives freedom and changes life. It's pretty, it's not hard to recruit. You just don't do it that often. Um, but it's the best thing that you can do to recruit a lot of people is kind of be selfish with your success. Like get in there. You talk about getting a hundred grand saved, but like start working, like get, get installs, get sales. And then for some, you like almost like emit a pheromone or something, but people are like, Hey, what are you doing? Or they'll hear like, Hey, Tiago's killing it. Yeah. And then people come to you. Like most of recruiting is done by becoming the type of person you want to attract. And then it just opens up opportunities. I think one of the biggest problems and tell me what your opinion is on this is you have an organically formed team is they sit down before they've done anything and they try to make a list of people to recruit. And they're like, well, I don't know anybody to recruit. Yeah. I always tell those people like, go in and just crush it and then tell people about it. Yeah, That's it, I, you know? I, I tell people the same thing. I'm like, don't really care, focus on recruiting, especially new recruits. I'm like, they're like, oh, my friend wants to. I'm like, you gotta win first and you gotta get winning and then your friends can join. Because also like, if I'm developing you, I don't really have the time to develop five, six people at the same time as well as I can with you. And then when you're really good and you bring people in, they're going to be that much more successful because they're able to leverage leadership and you helping them as well. And that's what's going to bring people in. Mm -hmm. So I tell that to people all the time, too, is you always got to develop first and then you can expand. And bring when are you going to do some stand up comedy again? Oh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> do you do stand-up comedy? I yeah. crushed it. Yeah. He, so Tiago's done two at work events. Have you ever done one like outside of a work event? No. We got to get you doing that. Yeah. You know, I think we should do it. Like set goals. They'll set that. Cause it's like one of the most terrifying things that a human. Can so do. he, so Tiago's first one he did was we did a leadership conference in Philadelphia a couple years ago and he got up <laughs> and just crushed and then um, we had him do it again. How long what? is your 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 bit or your show? 15, or 20 minutes probably, right? Uh, uh, something like that. I think 20, 30. Maybe. Dude, that's a lot. Know. Yeah. And I'm talking, the second one he did was uh, we had another, we had a, like a big region-wide conference in New England a year or two ago. And we have we actually have a couple other actual stand-up comics that sell for us in Boston North. So we had those two. And then Tiago went, and Tiago by far. And you uh, just tried it? Just Dave, well, De Dave Decker a, did a pretty good job too, yeah. but Tiago's was just so different and good. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've always been kind of the class clown in, in school and just really, I think, good energy, really. I've always wanted to do it. Uh, it's just finding the time, really, to do it now. Um, just because work is so long. So yeah. I see that as a later point in life, like kind of like when I've, 
transitioning more out of solar down the road. And then I'll have time to start doing these different type of hobbies. What about rap? Uh, I'm really good at that too. So he's got a couple of raps that he's sent me uh, as well. And he usually sends them to me at like 6 p.m. on a Wednesday. And I'm <laughs> like, you should be working right now, Tiago. And he's, <laughs> he's like, like hey, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I went down a rabbit hole. And, you know, so. Well, my, I actually made a few songs. They were actually really good. Uh, I'm hoping to release them actually pretty soon. Really? So, yeah. Do you do it yourself? Like, well, it's uh, the thing is, again, it's just like, um, writing jokes and making music, I feel like I can do it, but it's such a big time investment. You have to do it very consistently to, to come up with a good result. And it's really kind of tough to do that at the same time work as, as much yeah. as I do. Um, and I work an hour away from my home. So I work in, the Cape, in Cape Cod mainly. That's my main area where I work a lot. And I, I drive an hour to, to the field. Uh, just because I've developed it so much. So mm-hmm. it's hard driving an hour there, an hour back and still having time to do other stuff Yeah, like that. It's, it's funny because it's like even something like that, like you, you start to see like if you applied the passion and the systems to anything that you apply to your job, you can have success. I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing that like successful people figure out is you're not just good at selling solar. Right. You just you, you, you put your heart into it and you applied like all your creativity to it. But you could do that with comedy or music or running some other kind of sales team or if you're a real estate agent or a financial planner or something like that. Right. It's the same stuff. A hundred percent. And I think um, I, and that's what I tell people when they come in. I'm like, you're not you're, you don't want to start off like the best because nobody starts off really good. But you can always ramp up to there with dedication and, and self working on yourself and working on the job. That's what I tell people. Um, and that's true with anything. Like I believe any, even if you're not funny, you can eventually become a good stand-up comic and, and make jokes and really do anything you want to do in life, build a business, work out. I've also found that like with, with people that work really hard, I mean, I know I feel this way and I'm sure you guys do too. Sometimes you need a creative outlet that pushes back as hard as the job does. Like, it's not like you're like, listening to me, I mean, I'm sure you are, but it's like, you want to make something. It's like, I find that like with high, like expectation or high success people, you do these hobbies that are like stand up comedy. That's really hard. Or you do these other things. Like you've got a guitar sitting here or, you know what I mean? It's like, you almost need your hobbies to push back against you the way that like the job does a little bit, you know? And it's really fun when you have a different type of hobby just to express yourself. And Mm -hmm. I feel that way about music. Like when I'm doing music, it just feels like a lot of fun putting the pieces together and I think it complements really well with doing, doing well, you the job. Well, Ty always talks about um, living a life you're excited about and if you're just only working, that's exciting but it eventually wears off, right? Yeah, you extinct, your light goes out. Especially yeah. once you become really successful with it, um, you have to have other things outside of work that you're excited about that are challenging you and that don't necessarily detract from work, obviously. Work is like the vehicle to help you do these other things. And I actually wanted to ask you about, um, so we've heard a little bit about your start and how rough it was when you guys were first getting started. Fast forward, um, Boston Central has been a massive success and you guys just hit 300 installs for the first time as a team. You've done over 250 a couple quarters. Financially now, you're in a wildly different place than you were two years ago, 
you know, and um, I know you've bought uh, an investment property or a couple investment properties and, you know, you've bought a, a new car and kind of getting ahead financially. What, what, um, what does that mean to you, I guess, just coming from a really humble background growing up, you know, you guys grew up in Everett, right? Uh, East Boston. East Boston, growing up in East Boston. And it's like you're breaking this cycle in your family. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's really amazing, uh, especially with my parents, with my mom specifically, like we always had a very tough relationship when I was growing up. Me and Phil were big troublemakers. My mom was a single mom, you know, house cleaning all day. And How many brothers? Just, the just me and my brother. And um, it was really tough for her because you know, she had been through a divorce with my dad. She was basically doing things on her own and me and Phil were constantly getting in trouble. And uh, I think the best thing for me today is, you know, my relationship with my mom when she sees us, she's so proud of us and we help her out and, and uh, she's really in a good place. And to me, that's um, really powerful because it was really a bad relationship when we were younger. And now it's like, she's really proud of us, we're doing good. What a I'm cool really excited thing. about that. Is it true you once drove a car through a roundabout for two hours trying to get in an accident to total your car? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so what's case, it? Let's hear case this. Hasn't closed let's on that hear one. this. What happened? Uh it was just uh I, I had a Ford Mustang that was just constantly giving me problems and I didn't have any money to fix it. And uh, I'm just like, I'm just gonna crash it. <laughs> But you knew you could. You knew you couldn't crack. You knew someone had to hit you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you so call your. Works. So you call your brother and you tell him the. I feel so like you tell Alan him, really wants to hear this. Yeah. So you tell him what. You tell. I don't know the statute of limitations on stuff, so I <laughs> yeah, can't really right. talk. So you call Felipe and you're like, "Hey, amazing idea! I just thought of an amazing idea." We had amazing <laughs> ideas as kids. So. <laughs> what are some of the other amazing ideas you guys had? Um, I mean. Uh, uh, like, uh, I don't know what's legal to say, but <laughs> your best idea, your best worst idea. Well, uh, when I was uh, younger, I actually had a business selling shoplifted clothes. Me and Phil, so we actually made a lot of money of it in high yeah, school. Yeah, I'd imagine there's good margins on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, half off, half off. Yeah. There's good so margins on stuff. You take clothes. all the risks, so yeah. Yeah, we um, actually got pretty good at it. I got pretty good. I never got caught. Phil got caught a few times, so weren't you sending? I retired Fe- that life. So. Weren't you sending Felipe in to do your dirty work at times? Uh, Phil, I was kind of training my apprentice, um, <laughs> but uh, we—that's an old life now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I have a question for you. So, um, talk about—I I, was—my my wife has these. They're called chat books. They're—you um, can take your Instagram posts and they'll produce these little books. You can like keep them as like almost like a journal thing. And my son was flipping through one of them like two nights ago. And I actually saw a picture in there that like really impacted me. Stace used to do this thing that was like funny because I fall asleep everywhere. I just get like really tired and fall asleep if I sit down for too long. I think door to door does that to I people. I fell asleep last night while Andrew was setting up shop. Yeah, like if you just sit too long, you just go, mm-hmm. does that happen to you? You just uh, like go out like a light? I'm always like, it's actually uh, hard for me to sleep because I'm oh, really? always going. So 
the the point of this is I, I she started taking pictures of me falling asleep in random places and it was like her like thing for like a month. She'd be like, here's another random hole Ty fell asleep in. And um, one of them she took from outside of my office. It was like, and she timestamped it. It was October of 2012. And it was like one or two in the morning. And I was at my desk face down like asleep and I was working on some project for work. And I had this thought where it's like, man, I don't think reps understand what it takes to be successful at this level. I mean, that was October. So we're six weeks out of a summer, which usually you're kind of relaxing at. But I still, there's a gap. Like there's some reps, they come in and they want to have the success that you've had. They want to save 100K. But there's a real gap between what they understand that it takes and what people like you are doing. You were talking before we started rolling about 60, 70, 80 hour weeks in uh, Rhode Island trying to get that ramped up. So the biggest thing that I see often is a rep comes in, they want to be successful, but they don't really understand what it takes. So maybe give me your perspective. What does it take? Like if someone comes in and actually wants to turn this job into what it can be, what is it? What does it take? So I'm going to, uh, just to take a step back a little bit, because you said something that's really important. Um, you know, my favorite, me and Phil, our favorite rapper of all time is Nipsey Hussle who passed away last year. Mm -hmm. I actually share birthdays with them. Phil has a tattoo of Nipsey that was actually pretty cool. And uh, I think the reason we were really, really embraced him and, and his music and his message was because he talked about the marathon where it's not a sprint, you know, it's a long road, it's a long marathon. And I think what hurts me in the business is when we started doing good, we recruited a lot of our friends and, and a lot of them, some of them did really well and some of them didn't. And uh, we all went through those hard times together. But the thing is, we just never quit. We just kept going, you know. So if there's a price to pay, you know, if it's is it worth it to be five, six years broke or, or six months broke and then be rich and then have a lot of money? I think 100 percent. And some people, they're not willing to go through the really hard aspects of the job. They're not really really willing to leave the security and do a job and, and be out there and go through one or two weeks where they don't sell anything or they'll go one or two weeks and uh, without selling anything and be like oh it's not just just not for me so i think um for everybody they got to understand it really is a marathon it really is a long road you're not trying to you know win in a day you're trying to win in, on on a you know over the course of a career and over the course of your life i think that what it takes um I think number one, it takes belief in yourself that you can win. I think that's the most important thing. And uh, I think that's what a lot of new people struggle with the most because they see other people winning, they know other people are winning, but they don't know for themselves if they can win. But the truth is everybody actually can win, but you gotta believe that you can win. Then once you believe that you can win, it's all about doing the work on the job and the work on yourself to be the type of person that's winning more consistently. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot through you know, when it was uh, when I, that first year that I did 84 installs in Maryland, I had messed up my finances completely before. I'd messed up a lot of things in my life. And uh, I'm like, you know, I just never had any good mentors. I just never had any good people. I, nobody, I never had like an older brother or, or somebody like that. I'd be like, hey, do this. Mm -hmm. So I made a decision to listen to 50 audiobooks. Um, you know, a lot of them about finances, a lot of them This is your work. first year selling here? S selling you here, did? yeah. 50 audiobooks? 50 audiobooks. And uh, that was one of the best decisions that I made. By the end of the year, I was a completely different person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I did a lot of work on myself to, you know, 
it's like a, if I'm in a car race, you know, and there's like a Civic and, you know, like a McLaren, like it, it, if I'm the Civic, I'm not going to be able to do the numbers in McLaren's doing. I got to upgrade, you know, my machinery basically. And it's the same thing with me. Like if a human's like a computer, I got to keep upgrading my software and hardware to get to the next level. And that's why I think personal development is really important. And then you could listen to personal development all you want, but if you're not working on the field and working on the job, you're not going to get there. So I think it's both of those, and that's what it takes to really believe in yourself and then working hard on yourself and on the job. Yeah, that dude, that's really well said, and I like the example. It's, it's weird because it's almost like a different language, or it's almost like a different dimension that you see because it's like, I think of the same thing from like, you know, Ty is like a 19-year-old or Tiago as a 19-year-old versus now. You see things kind of differently, but I, but I love that feedback, the belief that you can win and then like the exposing yourself to other people that are at a different levels like mentality and then just straight time. You know, like I always tell the reps, it takes six hours a day, five days a week minimum. That's what it takes. And people are surprised when they don't sell and they put in three hours a day. You know what I mean? Like it just, it shocks me. And I, I wish that there was a better well, way to help people see that. You, and I'll let you go. It's, it's, you nailed it though. So I always, you, you there's a cycle where people are like, oh, well, how do I make sales? And you always say, you got to be confident to make sales, which is that belief that you can win. And then reps are like, well, I have never made any sales, so how can I be confident? Yeah. It's like this weird cycle, but you nailed it. The, the trick to getting in that cycle is knowledge. And so you knew that, you know, I don't have the knowledge, the hardware right now. I don't have the brain power to like get in this sales cycle and develop this confidence and you you knew that you had to get the knowledge, right? So um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, mm, that's a, let me just uh, think here for a second. I think the best um, advice that I received, well, actually, uh, it's a quote that GP shared with me. It's called the Matthew Principle. It's from the Bible, um, where it says to those who have, more will be given and to those who have little everything will be taken away and once i kind of heard that and uh, really started applying it to my life i think a lot of things changed you know when you're really broke and uh uh you know you don't have a lot of money it's like things happen your car breaks down your um you know something has to happen that you have to fix an emergency expense and you waste the savings that you have you put it on your credit card and you get, you lose everything basically. Same thing with a sale. Some people will make like one or two sales. They'll feel complacent. They're like, oh, I got these installs in the pipeline. And then one of them can install a structural upgrade and the other one cancels on you. Mm. Um, and it's true in all things. And once I kind of understood that, I'm like, okay, so if the more I have, the more I'll be given, the less I have, everything will be taken away. The more I understand, the more I want of the good things that I want, you know, so the more sales I want, the more work I want, the more finances I want, the more health. And uh, that's been something that's really changed my life, that quote. So I think it's a pretty important quote. Mm. Talk to us about your wife. You got married on the job, right? Down in, where did you meet? So basically, uh, yeah, when I met my wife, um, we were dating for like five, six months. Uh, and everybody, the first thing everybody always says to me is, oh, your wife's so beautiful. So what I hear all the time. <laughs> But we were dating for like five, six months, it was really good. And uh, I didn't kind of talk to her, but um, 
No, hold on a second. Sorry. Um, hold on a second. Sorry. I got it. All right. But, uh, hold on, wait, hold on, let me just, uh, bring, so, um, me and my wife met, uh, I, I, outwardly, I was pretty successful, I was driving a Mercedes coupe, um, you know, I had my business at Comcast at this time, and outwardly, I was really successful, but inside, I wasn't, um, and, uh, that winter, when we first met, we started, I think, uh, dating in, like, October or something. Hold on. Can you tell us the story just quickly how you guys met at the nightclub? So, yeah. <laughs> I don't even, we actually don't even remember it. Uh, but uh, I just like remember, uh, you know, my friends were at the nightclub. I went there to meet up too. And all I remember from that night was I just saw her and I went and high fived. And then she put her hand up and we grabbed hands and started dancing. And uh, <laughs> he high fived her and then he pulled her in. And then they just like, uh, the best part of that night was, again, like, outwardly, I was really successful. Like, I was making a lot of money, but I was over, I was spending everything. Uh, and then we took the Uber back home. Uh, but it was actually a, the, a different Uber. It was like, the Uber driver was like, Caitlin? I'm like, no, Tiago, but uh, don't worry, I got cash. I'll pay you. He's like, no, 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 I got to wait for Caitlin. I'm like, nah, bro, don't worry, I got cash. <laughs> and then we got there. Then he brought me back to my house. And uh, I'm like, pull up my pocket. I'm like super drunk. And I literally had like a $2 bill, like $2, like I had $2. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is all I have. But luckily, Talita had cash, <laughs> gave him the cash. And then I actually forgot my phone in the car. No, oh, no. But he came back and dropped it off. So I found it in the morning. So I was pretty lucky. But uh, that first, like, outwardly, I was really successful. I was making a lot of money. Like I said, I was making 100, 120K. Um, which was a lot, but I was overspending everything. And that winter, the IRS put a tax lien on me. Um, I was like 170K, I think, in debt. And they took like, you know, I had like 15, 20K in the bank account. They took it all. And I was literally dead broke in the middle of the winter right after we started dating. And that's when I kind of really took a hard hit look at my life. And I'm like, you know, the way I'm living now, I can't live like this. If the longer I keep living like this, the more in a hole I'm gonna put myself in. So that's when I made the decision to go to Solar City first, to Delaware with my friends. Um, and I actually didn't tell her that we were gonna be moving. So I was just like, oh, you know, the dating's so good. I'm just gonna, uh, you know, I'll just, why am I gonna tell her now a month before I move? It's just gonna ruin things. I'm just gonna tell her the day that I move and be like, hey, we gotta break up. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the plan. That was the plan. I'm like, hey, things are good. If I say it a month before, it's just gonna be all mopey and stuff. I'm like, let's just let the good times roll. Uh, <laughs> just blindsided. <laughs> but uh, she found out beforehand. So like two days before I was gonna move, she was like, oh, are you gonna move to Delaware? And I'm like, oh yeah. And I didn't really think that we would be able to work things out living so far. Um, that's why I would, like thought we were gonna have to break up. Um, but, uh, she's like, okay, cool. So we'll just have to figure it out and work it out together. And, uh, we maintained that relationship, uh, you know, for like six to eight months. And then I moved her down to Maryland. So she's been part of the journey the whole time, you know, through all the hard times, good times. And, uh, and I think right now it's a really good time. So I'm sure she has her feisty moments, but she strikes me as like 
someone that keeps you grounded. You know? uh, yeah, I'd say I'm like fire. She's like ice. So she like calms me down and, and I'm always like, you know, I'm literally yeah. like fire, like, you know, uh, crazy ideas, crazy things. And she kind of mellows me out and yeah. brings some control. What, um, I know you've mentioned um, the rapper Nipsey Hussle, and I've heard you and your brother talk about him a lot. What, I guess, what's maybe your favorite line from one of his songs that uh, really sticks out to you or that's, you know, maybe a song that's been influential in your life? So uh, <clears throat> my favorite, uh, I'll read it to you right now. So uh, Nipsey, <clears throat> um, basically his story was, you know, he was in a gang when he was younger, Sloss and Crenshaw. And uh, he realized there wasn't really anywhere to go with that. It was where it was going to end up, like all his friends were dying. So he got into the rap music and was about to release. He was signed and going to release. But because of, you know, charges from his past life, uh, the label dropped him. So he decided to do things independently. So me and Phil have been listening to him since like 2008. And nobody really knew him. But he just stayed on the same path and he always talked about like all the things that are really important on this job, which is, you know, like it takes time to work, like all his quotes, like it's literally like a personal development book if you really read through it. But my favorite by far um, is from Keys to the City 2. And uh, it says, still I rise and I took the stairs. Feel the fire, it's a different glare. All these fights, it was never fear. Busting knuckles, still I'm swinging fierce. Taste of salt inside, I'm dripping tears. You should know I never had a fear. You should know I never had a shot. Never had a chance, still I took it here. And uh, I mean, literally just from that one quote, you can take so much. Still I rise and I took the stairs. You know, you have to take the hard route. Feel the fire, it's a different glare. When you really try to make a difference, it's a different type of fire. It's a different type of pressure. All these fights, it was never fair. That was one thing I think when we started. We, we, that, this is actually a quote we said over and over again when we started Boston Central. Uh, and I think it's a, a lot of people don't realize is when, when we started our office, I think Adam trusts us a lot now and he trusted us when we started the office, but we didn't have an office space. Um, our turf is actually the, the richest turf in the, in the whole state. We have the richest cities and percentage of cities in the whole state. We didn't have an office. We didn't, like a lot of recruits, we actually couldn't get corporate recruits because they didn't want to send them to a house, you know, and be like, hey, go work at a job. And they're meeting up at this guy's house. They wanted to send them to an office and be stuff like that. So uh, we always kept saying all these fights, it was never fair. Um, and uh, that's something we said so many times when we were doing the office, like it's never fair. Because, and that just helped embody that there's no excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever cards were dealt, we well, dealt those. And let me just get, sorry to interrupt you, but um, this is something we haven't gotten to yet, which I want to get on quickly because we're almost out of time. But when they opened up Boston Central, we didn't have an actual physical office for them. And we finally got one after like six months. The, the guy who we leased the space from, we told him, I told him, I'm like, look, we got to know you're okay with these guys being really loud for about three hours a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. And um, he's like, not an issue, totally fine. He was just trying to get a space leased. We were in there for a month, mm -hmm. and he evicted us because these guys were loud think, on yeah. Tuesdays and Fridays. 
and warned us a bunch of times. And then literally they were like treating it like a library. And he still was like looking for anything to get him evicted. So then they got evicted. So then um, they have they just met in Felipe's rental home, like 40 sales reps renting, leave, meeting in a rental home every day. And they still to this day don't have an office space because there's just like really low inventory. And we've mm-hmm. had a couple that we've had on a contract that have fell through. And so these guys have not only thrived, but they're doing it with like every excuse imaginable yeah. to use. But it's like that quote from that song sort of like embodies who you guys are as a group, right? And you've almost made it your calling card. Well, yeah, and that's what's uh, amazing about Nipsey is I think through various stages in my life, there'd be a hard spot in my life. And it's like I literally there'd be one quote that he says that, really keeps me going um and like uh, i can dissect all the lyrics and all the words and there's messages like that what's interesting about him too is is he actually read a lot of personal development books that's why he rapped like that mm. um but i think as far as our office just like even during the bigs we didn't have an office space and we got to the finals with boston north we we're meeting in a field and uh around november I think it was getting too cold to meet up in a field. So we're like, okay, cool. Let's just go meet up at, when we're in Boston South's office space now, meeting up over there on off days. What keeps you, last question, what keeps you motivated now? Um, I think uh, what keeps me really motivated is I always look for something bigger. Like as soon as we hit 300, now we're talking 350, 400. And we're always focused on a bigger objective and we're never like satisfied with yesterday's success. So I would say for me, I'm always focused on the bigger picture and and more and more and always setting new goals and not being okay with, you know, past success. Tiago, man, it's been awesome chatting with you today. So we're always impressed with you, um, obviously your brother, your co-DMs, Ronnie and Greg and uh, the whole Boston South crew has been it's been a really, really fun story to watch and kind of watch at a distance and, and play a, a small part in. But you guys have done some incredible stuff. And we recently named Tiago um, the MVP of New England for 2020 because he's, you know, uh, it was the highest performing DM in that group and took that team, you know, with his co-DMs. They took that. And we always say that's kind of a team award. It's like a quarterback winning mm-hmm. MVP, right? And he was really gracious when we gave it to him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what you've done this year has been incredible. So it's been really, really fun to be a part of. So thanks, man. I'm excited. Let's go. Everybody, thanks for watching and listening. And that's another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.